Good morning. We have a fine morning today. It, uh, I'm looking forward to this. The topic is, it couldn't be any better. It's the topic of anxiety. Since we are responding to mental health, let's visit mental health just for a moment and hear some of the things they're saying, and then we will move into scripture. This is Sigmund Freud speaking, writing in the introductory lectures, lectures on psychoanalysis. There is no question that the problem of anxiety is a riddle whose solution would be bound to throw a floodlight on our entire mental existence. And the mental health movement has taken that seriously. And what do you find? You find medications that certainly are available for people who struggle with anxiety. There are, however, as we realize, there are limitations to those medications. There are medications that can alleviate anxiety, but in the long run, they tend to be addictive. And, and the problem with addiction is you try to go off of them, and it creates more anxiety. So there's a bit of a dilemma with medications, even though there are some ways that it helps, certainly. The, uh, the other is that you, you do yoga. You, you breathe and focus on your breathing. You do a kind of mindfulness. You try to bring yourself into the present and persuade yourself that indeed the sky is not falling, but, um, but secretly you don't believe such a thing. There is certainly a lot of work happening in mental health and anxiety, but join me in finding the answers to the riddle of anxiety. When you're thinking about anxiety, please don't think that it is a particular problem that some people struggle with. And there, there are problems that we can struggle with, and sometimes we struggle and sometimes we don't. Think of anxiety instead as embedded in the human dilemma. It is part of our humanity, which means that that when we can begin to hear more and more about what God says to the problem of anxiety, it will speak to every single nook and cranny of life. Notice how embedded in, in this phenomenon of anxiety, the, the reach of it. Words such as anxiety, worry, stress. Neuroses was the old word. By the way, as Dale was talking the other day, it used to be you were neurotic or psychotic. Psychotic meant that you were not aware of reality. Uh, the, neurotic is you are aware of reality and you are filled with fear. And there's no other categories in the world. Those are the two categories of people. Um, panic, phobias, the endless list of phobias, generalized anxiety, trauma. Trauma is a huge matter today and rightly so. Trauma is something bad has happened to me and I am small and not powerful enough to ward it off in the future and I'm filled with fear. Fear, the riddle of fear, is, is at the very heart of trauma. Likewise, PTSD. Likewise, guilt. What is guilt? It, it's, I've done something wrong and I don't know if I can do anything about it. Fear is embedded in guilt. It's embedded in shame. It is everywhere. Assume that it is, it is, an, it is part of your life. It is, it, it's an undercurrent that is always there. So as we hear what God says, it, 
It will speak to the eruptions of anxieties and fears in your life. But it will, it will speak to everything in life. I want to consider three questions briefly and then two simple things that we all know that the Lord says to us in the midst of our anxiety. First question is, what is it? Well, in one sense, that's an easy answer. Anxiety, it identifies those things that are important to us. And life is important to us. Anxiety is about life and death often. It's, it's about our own life. We receive a diagnosis that's a dire diagnosis, and there's going to be certain anxieties because life is good. Uh, it's also about our anxieties over life for those we love. And, and if we're doing life correctly, it seems to suggest that we should become more anxious the older we get because you love more people. Um, I, will, uh, I will use personal illustrations because I have many of them uh, this morning. And here's one. I have eight grandchildren now, which means that my anxieties have proliferated. So my wife is talking on the phone to one of my daughters, and this is, it happens so often. Oh! Oh! And then there's, then there's, then she doesn't say a word. And, and I, I come to her, I said, Sharon, Sharon, you got to tell me what's going on. She's going like this, get away from me. You, no, you got to tell me what's going on right now. I... She doesn't think it's funny, but, but I think it's appropriate. It's, I love these grandchildren, and you just said, oh, and, and it sounds tragic, and I, want, I have to know now what's happening with my grandchildren. Something is important, and it's at risk, and we cannot do a whole lot about it. But there is, as we use that theological x-ray, there is more we can say about anxiety, when we use that theological x-ray, so, so anxiety is matters of the heart, the things that are most important to us, that will, that will drive us very back to our, our knowledge of God and our response to him. By the way, matters of the heart don't always mean that we are wrong in matters of the heart. But they do drive us clearly to the Lord. Anxieties certainly can be physical phenomena. I gave an illustration of that last, last night, where somebody's anxieties were a result of medication they were taking. For those of you who are familiar with panic attacks, and I suspect there are a lot of you, panic attacks are an unusual thing. When I was younger, nobody talked about panic attacks. And, and now they, they have proliferated. And, and I'm confident that many of you have experienced, <clears throat> I suspect all of you know, know people who struggle with them. Well, a panic attack does not seem to be a result of somebody meditating on what is especially important in their life, and that thing is at risk. Panic attacks tend to come when you're driving along and not thinking about anything particular, and there's a stoplight, and all of a sudden, there is this explosion of something that feels like anxiety. You're jumping out of your skin. You feel like you have to do something. People I know, their experience sometimes is if they're not driving. They gotta run. They gotta get out. But once they're out, there's, there's no place to go. There's, there's, not a, there's not a destination that will somehow protect them. Uh, this creates a bit of a dilemma. Because, so how do, you, how do you pastor your own hearts and how do you pastor other people when there seems to be a matter of the heart here, but there also could be a physiological phenomenon? It does seem to complicate issues, but... 
But what we are thinking is that in, in, in the way Scripture speaks to our own heart, in the way we speak to others, there should be a simplicity about it. We shouldn't have to be that smart. Scripture is accessible to children, and, and so the way our souls are cared for, there should be something very available to us in it. So the first question is, what is it? And it seems a bit complicated at first. Second question, is it wrong? Now this is a fairly important question, because if you believe that anxiety is wrong, and somebody's anxiety seems to have a significant physiological contribution to it, you are wrong. So it makes you a bit timid in, in how you approach anybody who's struggling with anxiety. Is anxiety wrong? Anxiety is natural. It is to be expected. If you are not familiar with anxiety, you are not loving correctly. If you are not familiar with anxiety, it suggests a certain weakness in body and soul. Sometimes your body, because there are, there, are, there are people who have problems who cannot feel anxiety, and their life is um, quite difficult as a, right, as, as a result. Is it wrong? It is not wrong. Scripture consistently comes to you in your anxieties with comfort and compassion and presence. And that is not the way the Lord responds to our, to our persistent sinning. He calls us to turn to himself. But with your fears and anxieties, Scripture is constantly, they're the most beautiful words in Scripture. So if you have problems with fear and anxiety, and we all do, Come to Scripture and you will hear the best things you could possibly imagine. It does raise the question then, what do we do with the command? Because the command seems to appear often in Scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Well, the command form is, is something you understand in context. Jesus, Jesus later says, don't cry. Stop it! Stop it! No, stop crying! No, it, it's... It's... I'm here. I'm here. There's no reason to, to be afraid. That is a, a significant decision point. It's, it's, a, it's an important question that sets the tone for how we understand Scripture and how we speak Scripture to ourselves and to one another. Given that tone in Scripture, what are we to expect? Third question. Expect more anxiety in life. Expect more of it. If you have grandchildren, expect more of it. The more and more people who are assimilated, absorbed into your love and your family, expect more of it. Also expect that in the midst of it, you will turn to Jesus with alacrity. Instead of, instead of your anxieties becoming more apparent to you, and then taking the next two days to try to Prepare yourself for the inevitable. Try to think yourself out of it. Try to, try to imagine the future so you can be more prepared. You will go increasingly quickly to your God. Psalm 56.3. When I am afraid, and I will be afraid, I will turn to you. I will cry out to you. It sounds easy. It's not easy. But that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're expecting. 
Your anxieties will persist until the day you die. But you're also considering. It's the same way with almost all suffering. There will be grief in your life until the day you die. There will also be hope. There will be grief in your life, but there's also going to be comfort and compassion. There will be grief in your life and also confidence. Well, there will be anxieties in your life. And there will be there will be an increased instinct in you calling out to the Lord and simply speaking your anxieties to him. There will be opportunities and in this growth, which we're all involved in this, when we grow up, we want to become a child. And it's not easy to do. When Jesus identifies some of the heroes of the New Testament, who are they? They're tax collectors. There are women with, with bleeding who have put their trust in him. And they are children. Look for people who are identified as people of faith or the heroes. Look for people who are told to emulate. And you find children. Expect in the midst of your fears and anxieties to grow as a child who has increased confidence in in your father. Expect as, as you grow in the midst of your anxieties, you will have courage for the things that are in front of you today. You, you know stories like this. Those who were in the military, they, who seem to be utterly fearless. Nobody is utterly fearless. But, but everyone in the military in dire situations, if they do courageous things, it's courage in the midst of fear. Courage to face today in the midst of fear. That's what you are expecting. So, two questions. Two, no, two things that God says to us in the midst of our fears. Before that, however, it's, it's not going to be that much fun for you unless you can identify your anxieties. So, so some of you can identify ten from the, uh, from the morning already. For some of you, they might be more subterranean. For some of you, frankly, for, for some men, your anxieties reside behind your anger. So when you see your frustrations, what is it? It's a world that is out of control and you can't do anything about it. And this is your last gasp to try to get some sort of control in the world that, um, that you can't control. So, so try to identify it. Here is what the Lord says to you in the midst of your anxieties. I am with you. I am with you. Or to put it, we'll put, add a few more words, Jesus says in Matthew 14 to men who are in a boat and think they've seen a ghost. Take courage. Take courage. It is I. I am with you. Fear and anxiety, they want the right person. And here, the mental health movement, obviously, it, it's, its inadequacies are especially apparent. Fear says, I'm small, and the world is out of control, and I think bad things are going to happen, the things that are important to me. And it's true. We need the right person in the midst of it. A friend of our family, a single woman who... who her style was not to be overtly anxious. But over a period of a few weeks, as we have dinner with her and encounter her in different places, it was palpable. It, it was right on the surface. And 
it, to the point where we, we identified it. And so what's, what's happening? You, you just seem more anxious than you've ever been. And she said, here's a, at the time she was probably a 42-year-old woman. She said, I, I'm afraid I'm going to die alone. I'm afraid I'm going to die alone. So what did we say? We're just a little bit older than you, but, and we can't promise you this, but we will do, if we are alive, when you are dying, we will do everything we can to be with you. It's always said. Now, that wasn't the best answer in the world. We didn't direct her to Jesus. Um, and that was the last time she spoke about her anxieties. That was, that was enough for her to know that she wouldn't be alone in the midst of some of the most difficult things that she could possibly face. Anxiety, once the right person, you think of Lord of the Rings and, 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 and people fighting with fears and anxieties galore, and then all of a sudden Gandalf comes riding in on this horse with this, with this horde of strong people. And, all, and before Gandalf even gets there, you start fighting with different kind of courage because you know that the right person is coming and the replacements are there. I mean, you, think of, you think of Elisha's servant in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 where the king of Syria was after Elisha. And if you're after Elisha, you're going to get his servant as well. You're going to get those associated with Elisha. And so he sent his army to, to capture and ultimately certainly to kill Elisha and those associated with him. And Elisha and servants see this unfold from, from a higher place. And Elisha seems all cool and calm about it all. And his, his servant is utterly freaking out and Elisha simply prays, Lord, open his eyes, open his eyes. And what happens? He sees the armies of the Lord of hosts that are surrounding him. And, and then you can imagine that courage for the moment begins to kick in. Let me tell you something very embarrassing. We had a cat. We don't have cats anymore, and I'm very pleased about that. I like cats, but I'm allergic to cats. And I was outvoted uh, in the home by, by the three women in my family, and they wanted cats, and I didn't. Well, one time, this cat was outside, and it was late at night, and it's not accustomed to being outside late at night. And... And I, as the courageous one in the family, was nominated to go find the cat. We live in suburbia. We live in suburbia. And it's a safe suburbia. The houses are, you know, they're not too far apart. And I was walking in the backyard, and I had to go through this corridor between the two houses. And in that corridor, there's lots of bushes, lots of places where raccoons, man-killing raccoons, <laughs> can hide. Not to, not, not, not to mention rabbits and things like that. Uh, uh, Deer that you could scare and they could spear you. And, of course, boogeymen and robbers. So, so all kinds of things could happen in this corridor. So I'm walking back in this corridor. This is horribly embarrassing. Uh, but not that horrible. Otherwise, I wouldn't say. Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a turning point, my, um, my understanding of anxieties. So I'm going down this corridor. It's a really short corridor. And I'm... Hey, ho, ho! I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, as if the noise is going to scare the raccoons and the boogeyman all the way. Uh, you know, you do silly things in the midst of your fears. And, and sure enough, I, I almost, so I'm calling for the cat, and I almost stepped on the cat. He's just laying there. 
And so I picked up this cat, or this particular cat. He was a weird cat. He's like dead weight when you picked him up. So he felt like he was around 50 pounds. So I pick up this dead weight, but here's the curious thing. I had to go back through the corridor, and I wasn't afraid. Because something was with me. A declawed cat that was just, it was just a lump of flesh. If, if a declawed cat can make a difference, what is it? It's just, a, it's just a peculiar echo of spiritual realities that the world knows nothing about. Fear in the world is you're, you are on your own. And you're going to have to figure this out on yourself. So try not to worry about it too much and focus on what's today. But our God comes to us and says, I am with you. Psalm 23 is, is just another of dozens of scripture. Lord is my shepherd. What is the pinnacle of Psalm 23? Everything in the psalm is focusing on the very middle of the psalm, I am with you. I am with you. The psalm becomes even more personal from that point on. How's that working for you? It's a fine morning. Here, the best possible things we could hear in Scripture. I was talking to a friend one time who struggled with overwhelming anxieties and spoke about this. And he said, Well, I've tried that. I suspect many of us have tried it. And you see, the nature of anxiety, it's looking for something that will get rid of the anxieties and, and, and get rid of them quick. All right, you know, the Lord is with us, fine, well, well and good, but we could still die. And we will die. It's, it's a bit more complicated, it seems. But, but here is... Here's the answer to the riddle of anxiety. You are small. You're a mere creature. You're living presently in a world where bad things do happen and they will happen. And the secret is this intensely personal world where your God hears you. And then he says, I am with you. And if you're saying, well, tell me something new that will change things quickly. He says, I'm with you. Well, anything else? Take courage. It's I. The Lord who comes close. The Lord who is over the seas. The creator God with a word can speak to the, to the oceans. The sea in this particular case. Or the pond, whatever that, whatever the Galilee it was, wasn't an ocean. And it's immediately stilled. Anxiety doesn't prefer to linger and meditate, but that's your task. Because, because everything, the riddle of anxiety, it, 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 it is all surrounded by take courage, it is I, I am with you. And you persist in this until it becomes richer to your soul. The dilemma, of course, is, is that he's not with us. He isn't with us. Jesus is absent. He is at the right hand of the Father. And if we understand these things correctly, he is embodied, which means that he's not going to be in all kinds of places at one time. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he is not with us. He is with us by his Spirit. And somehow, as we have his Spirit, 
His spirit is so linked to Jesus Christ that he is called the spirit of Christ. And Jesus said, it's better that I go because, because I can only be with you in temporal places. And when you're, when you're in Galilee and I'm in Jerusalem, we're not face to face. But when I give you the spirit, I will be with you at all times. How's that working for us? Well, it might not stir us right away, but it is true. And apparently it is so important on the mind of God for this to be embedded in our souls that we can pray it with confidence that the eyes of our hearts would indeed be opened to be able to see that he is the God who is present. What does the spirit tend to use? He tends to use the scripture oftentimes. We, our eyes are opened to the face of Jesus in, in the gospels, in the epistles, as, as they work out the implications of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the heroes of my own life is a man who, who has all kinds of miseries. And he wakes up in the morning, and he begins to read scripture. Not because he has any appetite for it. He has no appetite for it. But because he knows that there's no other place to turn for life. And he reads until life begins to kick in. Sometimes he has to read for a couple hours. Sometimes he reads for five minutes. The Spirit is God with us. And he is close. He is He is over and he is under and he is next to and he is in, which is a preposition that is filled with mysteries and and analogies are hard to come by with that kind of closeness and intimacy. The Spirit opens our eyes to Christ in the Scripture. The Spirit also opens our eyes to the presence of Christ through other people. You are a letter from Christ, you are the aroma of Christ. You can even smell, you know, there's a closeness in the aromas. To open our eyes and consider how his, how has, how has the Spirit moved other people to, to be representatives of Christ himself to me. So we open our eyes. We move slowly through this. Because this indeed is the most beautiful promise in Scripture. And... And the Lord never tires in speaking it to us. Respond. Sometimes we are students who, who hear the data and we can get the answers right on a multiple choice test. But, but, Jesus, but in this personal world, Jesus speaks. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And... And he expects us to respond, not just simply assimilate the information. How do you respond? Well, I'm still scared to death. Well, speak it to him. Speak speak your fears and your anxieties to him. He invites them. State to him what you believe. Do you believe that he speaks the truth? When he says he is present, you believe that he is present. And when he is present, it doesn't mean he's just sort of sitting next to you, watching all the tragedies unfold. It means that he is working powerfully, even on your behalf. And will give you all the grace that you need in whatever you're facing. Do you believe? John, John 6. Here's your work. To believe. 
to believe in the one the Father has sent. Do you believe this Jesus is, is the one the Father has sent? Do you, do you believe that, that he is, is the creator, God, who has come close? Do you believe these things? If you don't believe, you confess that. If you do believe, you, you confess it. Perhaps you aspire then to be more and more of a child. Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. I don't get involved in things too great or too difficult for me. Instead, I've calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with its mother. I won't get into the details of this, but, but one, of the, one of the most overwhelming anxious moments, and, and anxiety can, can litter our lives, it can also... It can also be condensed at certain times in our lives. It was a time when anxiety was especially condensed. And I won't give you the story because I'll cry through it and because it will take too long. But, but the, in wrestling with the Lord in the midst of that anxiety, the God who was with me, what, what was the most precious part of that gift was when I began to understand that the one who was with me was God himself. He was the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than your th- So my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts higher than yours. So, welcome to the very depths of the very heart of God that we have access to that many people have not been able to see. God who comes to you and says that I am with you and is willing to repeat it over and over again. That is, that is the first, the premier thing that the Lord speaks to us. But there's an implication of it. There's a second thing that he says as well. It goes something like this. Because... He is with you, and he is the God who is over, over all creation, and since he will be the one who worries about tomorrow, he gives you the grace to seek first the kingdom of heaven now, today. It evokes the story of manna, where you, you gather the manna for today, but not for tomorrow. You trust your God for tomorrow. Because he is the great God who is with you, it gives you the freedom to be wholly present now, considering his calling in your life today. Let me give you one other personal story. Again, it was another one of those turning points. It won't be as silly as the one about the cat. Um, I, I, um, of my phobias, I would say, and there are certain reasons for this, one is drowning or dying by not being able to breathe, which is the way most of us die, unfortunately. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bad phobia to have, uh, and, and there, there are reasons for it. My father-in-law had a near-dying event when he, was, when he was eight, he said. And he would tell this story occasionally, and, and he, lived in a, he lived in Anasquan, Massachusetts, and and they were playing around in the, in the water, and there was a ledge. And he slipped off the ledge. He didn't know how to swim. 
and he knew he was dying. And it was okay. He just happened to see a little white thing. It happened to be a leg. At the last minute, he held on to the leg. My father used to tell this story, and I, I love my father, and I believe he tells the truth, but I think he was exaggerating with this one. I think dying is a bad, I think dying by asphyxiation is a really bad thing, and nobody's telling the truth. So, I, um, I happened to be watching a movie uh, with my wife one evening, and, and it had the worst drowning scene in it. It had my worst nightmare. It was, you were in the bottom of a boat, and it was going down to the bottom of the ocean, and you were going to be in this pocket of air, letting you think that you were going to die from asphyxiation as the water gradually came up over the next hour. And, and so here I am watching this movie. My hands are all, palms are all sweaty, and, and I feel like a wreck, and I realized it was perhaps time to, to dive deeper into the promises of God. And how do you dive deeper? Well, one is, is there a promise that... that that you will not die by drowning. I couldn't find it. If any of you find that, you please let me know. And I wasn't able to find that. So I couldn't say it's not, it's not possible. Um, what I could do was say that if indeed, if indeed the Lord chooses to have me die by drowning or some other weird asphyxiation kind of thing, he will give me the grace to die as a Christian. I don't have any idea what that would be. Because I don't have the grace to imagine it right now. I have the grace for today, and I'm not, di- I'm not dr- drowning today. And, and, and to try to imagine tomorrow without his power and strength and courage that he will give by his spirit, it's, it's, it's futile because you won't be able to imagine such a thing. He will give you the grace when you need it. And, and so what does he do? He says, since he will, give, since he will be with you, in tomorrow's difficulties, and will give you the grace to the strength to be a Christian as you deal with those difficulties. Live today. And today, you don't happen to be drowning. And, and so you look around, and what, what is the kingdom of heaven calling to now? Yeah. In that particular time, what was it? And during watching the movie. To enjoy my wife. That was my job. That was my calling. When I'm, when I'm envisioning my own death, I am certainly not present with her. Um, to pray. To call out to the Lord now. And for, ask him, for to ask him to, for grace. To be discerning of his calling presently. Sometimes if... If we're afraid of a failure for something tomorrow, what does today mean? Today means we might prepare. We might focus on preparing for, for tomorrow. It means crying out to the Lord. It means loving the person in front of you. As we walk before the Lord in, in humility. There are many other things we could say about anxiety and fear. Because this is not just a problem. This is, this is the nature of, of being a creature in a world that is bigger than ourselves and we have no control over the details of it. Many things we could say, but, but there's a simplicity in Scripture. 
Take courage. Take courage now, today, because I am with you now. It is I who, who am with you. Can you imagine, could you imagine conversations in the church? How are you, how are you knowing the God who is with you? What passages have been rich for you? Could you pray for me that I would know the God who is with me? Could you pray that I would master this skill of recognizing that he is the one who will worry about tomorrow? Could I, could I, I could master the skill and be discerning of what is he calling me to right now? And to have the courage to do the thing that he's calling me to presently. Could you imagine that kind of chatter in the church? And, and for us to talk about how anxieties have not disappeared. But we're growing in being able to call out quickly. Anxieties have not disappeared. But we're also growing to know places of rest even in the midst of anxieties. Psalm 46. That in God's presence there is this swirl of of the world being decomposed in a sense. And it's a fright to behold. But, but there's a kind of rest that is even possible in it. I'll just tell you perhaps one more story. A heroic friend of mine, a heroic friend of mine who, who struggled with panic attacks. And he was an elder in the church and, and uh, been walking with the Lord for a long time. And he wanted to talk and he basically introduced his panic attacks saying, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me that after this many years of walking with the Lord, my body would respond with this kind of panic as if I'm utterly alone? Now listen to what happened. It was the first of his panic attacks. He's had others since, but here's the first. As these things often happen, it was this, it was this ideal heavenly moment. He, he was with his wife and two other couples, and they were going out for just a lovely meal on a Friday evening. The work week was done. Saturday didn't, didn't hold all kinds of duties that were overwhelming. And... Good food and the best of company. It's, it's a vision of heaven. In the midst of that, in the, in the midst of that, this rising anxiety that took him over, that felt suffocating, that, is, that mobilized his entire body, and, and all he could do was run out. He ran outside the restaurant. And the, the, the intensity of, the, of this, 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 this spasm was such that as soon as he got out of the restaurant, he, he vomited. It, it, was, it was that physically overpowering. And I don't know if this is a good question or a bad question, but what were you thinking as you were vomiting? It, I think that sounds like a bad question now that I actually say it out loud to you. Um, and... And he said, all I was thinking, all I could possibly think was Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Now, where does anxiety come from? I don't know. Where, where does the physicality of it come from? I don't know. You don't have to know. 
I, I hope what you hear in that story is, is a man who, who is a spiritual giant. <laughs> because our expectations, what we're hoping for as we grow in dealing with our anxieties, is not that our anxieties will, will be fully dissipated and erode and we won't feel anything again like that. But, but in the midst of it, we will call out to the Lord. And, and for him, he didn't call out to the Lord in 12 hours or in 6 hours or in 3 hours <laughs> once he got his wits back. He called out immediately. <laughs> there was no other place to go. And in this, we'll talk about this a little bit more probably even this morning, this calling out to the Lord, which, which seems like it should be so easy, is so advanced and it's something that we practice and we want to grow in throughout our life. And it is most pleasing to our God. It is a foremost feature of faith. Faith is our response to the words of God. And um, so what do you do? You just tell him he's a great man. And you're happy to continue to talk about anxieties. But you're in the presence of a great man and you've already been inspired by him. You want to have those same instincts. What we did was, let's use this as an occasion to refresh ourselves with what God says. So we did two things. We, he told his story with anxiety in view, sort of the, the tracks of anxiety through his life. And then we would tell stories from the Bible, which there's nothing sophisticated in that. There's, there's, there's nothing especially insightful in that in the sense that, that neither of us understood the causes of his particular anxieties. But you see, in ministry, we don't always have to understand the causes. That whether it's physical or spiritual, it, 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 we speak to the human heart, and there's nothing more important we could do. It just so happened in his case that the panic attacks did dissipate, and, and they've been extinguished for a number of years. But that's anticlimactic. Who cares? Well, he cares. I mean, it's, 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 personally, it's a personally powerful thing. But he doesn't care that much because he's recognized that panic attacks have been the, the wonderful occasion for him to, to hear what the Lord says to anxious people. And it is really, really good. But, um, but the important thing, the turning point in that story is not that he had an alleviation of his panic attacks. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. The turning point is is that he called out to the Lord in the midst of it. Taking a peek back to the world, and what does the world do with these things? The world is thinking about one part of what God says. Today. That's, okay, focus on today. Try not to catastrophize. Breathe. Breathe. Okay, okay look around. Be present. Okay, look. Look at the other person. Listen, be present. They, they, have, they have seen that little tiny piece of spiritual realities, but they haven't been able to configure it in, in this intensely personal world where we have the freedom to focus on now because we know our God is, number one, he is worried about tomorrow, and he is active already in tomorrow, and we can trust tomorrow to him. And right now, he will give us the courage we need to face whatever the kingdom of heaven is calling us to presently. Fine morning, huh? Yeah. What, a, what better way to start the day than to, 
to think about these things that we all know. The scripture typically doesn't give us new information, but, but it does invite us to go deeper, to meditate a bit more, to ask for help a bit more. So those words of God, they, they become part of us more and more. Let me pray. All we can say, all we say is thank you. That, that, uh, that we know our, not only our frailties, we know something about our sins. And in the midst of this, because of Jesus, because sins have been forgiven and washed away and taken in Christ, the, 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 this, this resounding, take courage, it's I, do not be afraid. It is, it is a certainty. Because no longer can our sins separate us from you. Thank you, Father, for taking us to places that we could have never invented on our own. With mere sight, we could have never seen these things. But you, by your Spirit and through the Word and through each other, you open our eyes to, to the God who, for some reason, delights, has created us to be close to him. In the name of Jesus, amen.